Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. This is the Frey Podcast, brought to you by thefrey.com. A place for women who want more from life. This is what I want. This is what I need. If you don't have to go, I can set you free. Are you gonna make a move? Are you gonna come and see? Whatever you wanna do, you know what's cool with me. Today's podcast is a solo episode, and I'm going to be chatting with you specifically about two topics that I have had requests come through to extend upon over here on the podcast. And those two things are contribution and also the importance of doing dangerous things carefully when it comes to children. But I think both of these topics really do extend so much further than to just the parenting kind of landscape. And I have certainly spoken about both of these things before over on social media, and you can find me at Kylie Camps. And I think because I have touched on them on stories and whatnot, people will often slide into my messages and ask me to extend on these topics. So I thought I would just sit down and record this podcast dedicated to those two things. But as I said, these two concepts, you know, and <laughs> like it's not a hot take, I obviously didn't invent the term contribution and nor did I invent the concept of doing dangerous things carefully. Um, but these two kind of concepts and topics are really so much more than just about the way that you can parent or encourage children. I think they apply to us as adults as well, for sure. Now, the first topic, contribution. I can remember a couple of years ago, I caught myself saying to the boys, can you help mum do whatever it is, like it might, might have been packing up or putting their school bags away or getting their lunchbox out of their bag or carrying things in from the car, things that are their responsibility. And I caught myself saying, can you help mum by bringing your bag in? Or can you help mum by packing up your toys? And I heard myself say it. And it was just one of those moments, I can't remember why, but I was like, why am I saying to them that they're helping mum? Because by saying to the boys, help mum, and then inserting tasks that are actually not my responsibility, you know, help mum by putting your shoes in your bedroom, I am taking ownership of that task, of that chore. I'm saying, oh, if you don't do it, I'm going to have to do it. And you're really doing me a favor here by being responsible for your own stuff. And I realized in that moment that I didn't want to encourage the boys to grow up thinking that any little thing that they do, that really is their responsibility, that any little thing that they do is helping me by taking it off my plate because therefore I am telling them, you know, I'm the keeper of all of these things and if you do it, you're wonderful because you're helping me because if you don't, I've got to do it. 
And I don't want the boys to grow up thinking that, you know, if they have a partner one day or if they find themselves in that family dynamic, which they may or may not, but I would just hate them to think purely because that's what they've been exposed to, that it is the female or their partner, their role to do those things, to take responsibility. And so when I was kind of having that realization of just the importance of what I role model and what I make normal for them, it got me really thinking about things like pocket money and charts and rewarding kind of the bare minimum type of behavior. And now I am certainly not a parenting expert. I think I have a lot of knowledge in the baby sleep department, but I don't think that there are many people out there who um, you know, are complete parenting experts across every single genre, genre. But I will just say when it comes to parenting these two boys that I have, I'm really passionate about being considered in the way that I raise them. Now, there are going to be lots of things that I get wrong and lots of things that I'm sure I have gotten wrong for sure. But with kind of the emotional intelligence side of things, I can see how we as parents have this responsibility and this honour to really shape what our children see as normal. And to kind of take it down another tangent, there have been so many times at events where I have spoken to women, you know, literally standing in front of upwards of 200 women and I will speak about the importance of filling the proverbial cup and looking after yourself and someone will say, a woman will put her hand up and say, I struggle with this so badly. Why do I find it hard to put myself on the priority list? And often, like I would say nine out of 10 times when we dig a little deeper, it's because it wasn't role modeled growing up. You know, for so many people, we grew up seeing our mums in particular really self-sacrifice, self-sacrifice in terms of spreading themselves super thin, in terms of being the ones to eat last in terms of not spending time and resources on themselves. And so if that is modelled for us, that's what we grow up thinking is normal. And so then, of course, it makes sense when we are adults ourselves and perhaps if you find yourself, you know, in a parenting role, whether that's with your children biologically or a step-parent role or perhaps an aunt role or whatever it is, But if you find yourself caring for children and what you had role modeled was a lot of self-sacrifice and never putting yourself first, of course, it's going to be so much resistance and so much dis-ease surrounding accessing that self-care and that self-love and putting yourself on the priority list. And it is the same with how we assign tasks in our family unit and what we model for our children. So if we are modeling the fact that as mums, we are doing it all, you know, we're picking up after them, we're hanging up their wet towels, we're bringing their stuff in from the car, we're putting their hats in their school bag, all of that stuff that of course you want to do because 
A, you love your kids and B, sometimes it just makes your life easier to be the one to do it because then you can kind of close that mental tab and know it's done and move on and it's quicker and more efficient sometimes for you to be the one to do it. But what I think that's telling our kids is to outsource their responsibility. And now there are different ages and stages, of course, when that is entirely appropriate. You know, you're not going to turn around to your two-year-old and say, could you please unpack the dishwasher? But to your five-year-old, your six-year-old, your seven-year-old, absolutely they can help with those sorts of things. And so when it comes to this word contribution that I'm always using with the boys, I really try and think of it as a big concept. So I say to the kids, we are a family unit and we're all making deposits. We're all adding to the family unit. We're all adding different things. Sometimes I will be adding um, experiences and nice things for them. You know, for example, recently I took the kids to Sydney and I was saying to them, that's a big contribution that mum's making to this family unit because I'm taking time off work. I've had to budget for this. I've had to set aside the time, the effort. This is a big contribution that I'm making. It's expensive to do this and we're going to go and we're going to have fun. So I will always try and draw their attention towards the contributions I'm making, you know, making them dinner every night, making their school lunches, all of those things that, of course, I don't want them to have this um, heaviness or responsibility of being like, oh, my gosh, look at all the things mum does. But I think it's important that they have an awareness that we are a unit and all of us, all of us get and have the opportunity and the right and the responsibility to contribute towards how this unit operates. And so part of their contribution is sometimes it's the actual physicality of looking at like picking up after themselves. You know, if they take their pajamas off and just drop them on the floor, I'm not going to wash them. They've got to go into the basket because that's their contribution. They need to get it in there. Same with their towels. If they're not going to hang their towels up, then they're going to have to use a damp towel to dry themselves at the end of the day because I'm not going to do it. And I'm also not going to continually remind them. You know, I might prompt them and remind them, or when I notice that they have to pick up a wet towel off the floor to dry their bodies with, I will draw their attention to that. Contributions are also, you know, sometimes getting them to unpack the dishwasher. It's packing up after themselves. Contribution also comes in the form of them having to be patient when I have things to do. You know, I've spoken about this before, but I really think it's important that kids can be bored and kids can be patient, which is why, and again, I don't want to sound like I'm being, um, what's the word, like holier than thou, because that's not at all how I want, how I feel and nor do I want to be perceived in that way. But that's one of the reasons why I never did iPads or gave the kids my phone at a young age, because I wanted them to develop the skill of being in the car without constant stimulation. I wanted them to be able to be in the shopping trolley and wait patiently in a line up at the post office. And, you know, even now, like just the other day, I took them with me when I got my nails done 
And it might seem like such a silly thing, but having them sit there for 45 minutes in the waiting area is a contribution to the family unit because I would absolutely sit there. I do sit there for them when they've got things that they need to do. I make sure that all of their needs are met. So I'll say to them, like, this is just part of being a family unit. Yeah, it's boring for sure. And it's the same when I have other appointments, like nails seems like such a superfluous kind of example. But contribution is so much more than just picking up after themselves. It's contributing to what the other people in the family unit also require and acknowledging that we all make deposits and we all make different deposits at different times based off what each other needs. I can remember at a very young age, one of my dad's friends, like a family friend who also had three daughters, said to me, he really prides himself on not treating his three daughters equally, but treating them fairly. And I can remember the conversation so clearly and it really stuck with me. And I don't know why it stuck with me. It must've been a weird little kid because I must've only been maybe nine or 10 at best, but it stuck with me because he was saying for Christmas that year, for one of his daughters, he was giving her quite an expensive gift it was, I think, some appliances or something. But his other daughter, she was getting a Refidex because that's what she needed. So it wasn't about an equal spend of money, but it was about equal fairness in meeting needs. And the reason I wanted to just share that little story is, A, I found it really helpful having twins because at first with the boys, I was like, oh, my gosh, how am I going to split myself perfectly equal in two? You know, how am I going to make sure that on each and every day, each child gets the equal amount from me? And then I remembered hearing my dad's friend say that and going, you know what? I can't, I can't give them exactly equal effort, exactly equal time and attention each and every day, but I can treat them fairly. And there's going to be some days where one needs more from me. You know, when they were babies, if one was struggling more with teething, I was probably going to hold him more than his brother that day. And it's the same with this family unit and contribution. There are going to be times when we tilt and one person in the family needs more from us. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. And so I think... And again, take it for what it's worth. You might listen to this and think, absolutely not. This is not for me. And that's great. That's so fine. You know, it might crystallize a different way of thinking for you. And then that's the whole purpose of this episode for you. But for me, I don't do pocket money in terms of, okay, boys, here are your chores and this is your reward because I try and bring their attention to the fact that I am making contributions all the time towards this unit and so it is their responsibility to also make contributions and sometimes that means that when they want a book or a comic I'll buy that for them 
because I say to them, I notice your contributions. I see you putting in an effort to keep us all running well together. So it's just acknowledging what they can do. And rather than making it like, you know, you do X for Y, it's like you just do it because you're part of the family and you can and you have a right and a responsibility to do certain things. So having this conversation with your kids, I think from a young age and being cognizant of the language that you use towards your children, as I said at the start, rather than saying, oh, can you help mum by putting your socks in the dirty clothes basket and like really making a big deal out of that, just noticing your language and saying, hey, those are your socks. They came off your feet. You need to put them away. And of course, you can praise and encourage and be grateful when your kids do contribute. But I also think that we need to be mindful of not, you know, maybe like obviously I have little boys and maybe it's all to do with, you know, a bit of feminism and the patriarchy. But I just think that when it comes to boys in particular, that we are role modeling the fact that they need to contribute equally as well. And that the mental and physical load of a household should not be wholly and solely sat on the shoulders of the woman in the house if there is a woman in the house because that's how it's been for so many, many, many years. So that is a little bit of a rift on the word contribution and why it's important. Start talking to your kids about it from a young age. Start noticing the way that you talk about it and your partner talks about it as well if you have one um, and just see what feels good for you. Parenting, you know, is such a wild ride and there's so much responsibility and pressure on us as parents. And I've said this before, but it really is an honor when we can be cognizant and aware of what we want to normalize for kids. And no one gets out of childhood without some shitty beliefs. You know, there's no such thing as the perfect um, way to be raised because even that comes with a whole laundry list of side effects and traumas and implications that they're going to take on with them into other areas of life. But if there, you know, are a handful of areas that you feel passionate about, Um, you know, being really emotionally dialed into and focusing on, then that can give you a sense of pride and honor with parenting versus that kind of responsibility and dread of getting it right, getting it wrong and all of that stuff. Which brings me to the next little topic I thought I would speak about just because people have asked. And that is this concept of doing dangerous things carefully and allowing your children to engage in risky play. So when we first moved into this place that we are in now, the start of the year, I uploaded and shared a few stories of my boys jumping off the wall. There's a rendered wall around our pool, um, jumping off the wall into the deep end. And one of my girlfriends, Georgia, slid in and said, I love that you always encourage the boys to do dangerous things carefully. So she brought that terminology to me. And Georgia, um, for those of you who have been following for years, you'll know, I'm sure, Georgia used to work for me. And her and I are still very much in touch. We discuss all sorts of things. And she brought that term to me and I thought, oh, my gosh, that is the perfect phrase to explain 
that sort of risky play because some people might look at that and be like, oh my gosh, she's letting her eight-year-old jump off a concrete wall into a pool. That is risky business. And I can understand how some parents would look at that or not even parents, how some people would look at that and go, oh my gosh, that's a disaster waiting to happen. That's a broken a broken bone or a set of stitches waiting to happen for sure. And you could be right. You know, I could release this episode on whatever day and then the very next day one of them could slip from the top of that wall and end up cutting their eyebrow open or breaking an arm. That's an absolute possibility. But this whole concept of allowing your kids to engage in risky play is so important for kids. And I think now depending on the activity and the children as well, because some kids might not have the reasoning um, or the spatial awareness or, you know, some kids just have more of a wild streak. So you've got to, of course, gauge your own little ones. But in my opinion and in the opinion of a lot of child experts, um, child behaviour and play experts and whatnot, and therapists and things like that, the benefits of it allowing your child or encouraging your child to engage in risky play really do outweigh the chance of them being hurt. Because what they're learning when they engage in risky play, um, there's so much there, there's so much richness there. They can learn about risk management. They can, you know, um, learn how to manage thrill and adrenaline and nerves as well, which is important. They can also develop a sense of pride and confidence in their ability, in their capability to do something. So it could be, you know, with the example of jumping off a wall, they're learning to trust their body and their judgment. There's a physical element there because they have to physically balance. They have to jump far enough to get into the water, um, there's a physicality there, managing your nerves, believing in yourself, pushing yourself. And even me, I jumped off the wall with the kids. I, I had to be the one to jump first. And, you know, even me, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so proud of myself for doing that because I felt a little bit nervous, stood up there and a bit like, oh, do I want to do this? Um, and after I did it, I had that sense of pride and elation of doing something that is out of the ordinary. And, you know, jumping off a wall might be a bridge too far for you, but it can be things like encouraging your kids to use a knife to chop up vegetables, letting them do a dangerous thing and encouraging them and monitoring them doing it carefully. If we are forever stopping our kids from doing anything dangerous, they don't then get to negate all of those sensations that go on within their body when they are doing something kind of dangerous. They don't get that chance to manage risk and trust themselves. And building self-trust and self-efficacy is such an important skill. It really, really is. So just having a little think about your children and where you allow them to do dangerous things carefully. It could be jumping from one rock to another rock and all of your mum like or dad kind of urge 
comes up and says to you, like, don't let them do that. Keep them safe. Wrap them in cotton wool. But it's like managing that for yourself and just allowing them to have the experience of risk and thrill and fun and adventure and seeing what they can learn from it. Now, there are, of course, times when you're not going to allow them to do things that they want. You know, you might not um, allow them to run around the house with a sharp knife, but allowing them to use it at the bench to chop up some mushrooms or tomatoes or whatever can really help to build that skill set and that self-esteem. And it can be hard because as a parent, you do want to keep your children safe and contained and, you know, have no harm come to them. But that's unrealistic. And I think our job really is to try and instill a sense of confidence and self-belief. And that can come from negating all of these different sensations that they experience when they do complete a task that is dangerous, but they do it carefully. You know, it's the same as climbing all the way up to the very top of one of those spiderweb things at the playground or encouraging them to learn how to cross a busy road as well when that's age appropriate. Dangerous things carefully is a really, really important part of life. And as I said at the top of this episode, you know, the concept of contribution, but also this concept of doing dangerous things carefully absolutely applies to us as adults. You know, not too long ago, I had a reading with a psychic and she said to me, she can see with dating, I do dangerous things, but carefully. And now dangerous things in this kind of, you know, I guess framework isn't about jumping off a wall and potentially breaking a bone. It's about letting my walls down and letting someone get to know me and risking being hurt because for me that feels really dangerous. So doing it carefully, you know, doing it brick by brick, having certain boundaries in place, making sure I feel safe enough with what I'm doing, but also accepting that I can never feel fully safe. And at some point I have to just lean into like, oh yeah, this feels a bit dangerous, but I am doing it carefully. And I will perhaps extend on this more in another episode, but even, you know, recently having the kids meet my boyfriend and kind of move, not kind of, and I am moving at a quicker pace than I ever have before. And there are parts of that that can be dangerous because it's not just my heart, it's the kids' hearts as well but doing dangerous things carefully. So in that context, it's making sure I'm still protective of the time that I have just with the boys. It's really checking in with myself and seeing how I feel. It's making sure I'm very much in tune with them and what's going on for them as well. So anyway, those are just two things I wanted to touch on on the podcast because when I recently put up a little Instagram story asking for suggestions, those were the two things that were most requested. If you enjoyed this episode, please do let me know because it's helpful. If I have that information that you like these kind of solo episodes where I'm just kind of musing on different thoughts and feelings, I can then make sure I have more of those episodes for you. You can let me know by sending me a message on Instagram or if you're part of our Frey Facebook, you can pop a post up in there. The link to join our Frey Facebook group 
is in the show notes. It's just a really safe space for anyone who enjoys the podcast and wants to share, ask questions, or even just observe quietly. It's been really nice to see that little group grow and to see people using that Facebook page to share either light experiences or to ask for other people's opinions and feedbacks on certain topics from family dynamics to parenting to health and wellness to recommendations on other podcasts and movies and shows. And so if you enjoy the free podcast, if you've listened to a few episodes and you're like, you know what, I kind of like this vibe, definitely hit the link in the show notes. Come on over. Our little Facebook group is completely free. And yeah, it's just a space where you can share whatever it is that you are going through over there. So as always, thank you very much for listening to this episode. Please do share it on your Instagram stories or send it on to a friend who you think may enjoy it. And I'll talk with you very soon. This is what I want. This is what I need. If you don't have to go, I can set you free. Are you going? Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.